you know, I'm sure you saw uh, a couple weeks ago with the doomsday glacier, you know, starting to break off. And I think, you know, it's, it's unfortunately only a matter of time, which is why, in part, I'm very excited to be here with you all today. Um, as, as I think you both know, I am an adamant supporter of climate action and the Green New Deal, which would include a federal jobs program and, uh, you know, a massive climate resiliency investment, you know, and it's it's interesting, because sometimes I'll have potential constituents say things like, well, how do we pay for it? You know, it's like, oh, honey, you're going to pay for it one way or the other, you know. <laughs> Welcome to Activist MNT, a podcast about real world economics, including modern money theory, and how life changes when you discover it. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Welcome to Activist MMT candidate interview number eight, hosted by Ramona Masachi and co-hosted by me. Today, Ramona talks with Melanie Dorigo, who's running in New York's third congressional district. Melanie was the first major candidate to run in the district with an unabashedly progressive platform. On election night in 2020, she told her supporters, no matter what happens tonight, we have changed the face of politics in this district forever. Now it's 2022 and Melanie is the front runner and the army of volunteers and supporters she cultivated two years ago is ready and waiting to hit the ground running. As evidence of her success and of being a threat to the existing power structure, there are now two democratic opponents running on progressive platforms. The question is, do these candidates believe in that platform, or is it merely a tool to deceive low-information voters into voting for a corporate candidate? Whatever the case, as Melanie says, hers may be one of the most watched races in the country. You can support Melanie's candidacy by visiting dorigo2022.com, and you'll find a link to donate to her campaign in the show notes. If you're a candidate and would like to be interviewed by Ramona, please contact her directly on Twitter at Ramona Masachi or me at activistmmt at gmail.com. If there's a candidate you would like to see interviewed by Ramona, please let us know and please recommend us to them. This candidate interview series is above and beyond Activist MMT's regular episodes. If you like what you hear and would like to support this interview series and this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash activist MMT. And now on to our conversation with the front runner for New York's third congressional district, Melanie Dorigo. Enjoy. (laughs) 
All right, there we go. Um, all right, well, the drama was missed. But anyway, um, I'm, I'm glad you guys are both feeling better. And uh, we planned this quite a while ago. I'm, I'm glad it's finally here. So it's nice to finally meet you, Melanie. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. How's, how's it going? How's my old neighborhood? Yeah. You know, it's it's so funny. I, I, I These days, I kind of just... Uh, exist in my home. <laughs> I haven't, haven't unfortunately been able to get into the community with Omicron, but um, yeah, I mean, it's everything is, you know, much the same. I think, you know, things are going well. I, I'm, I'm pumped for our campaign. I think, uh, you know, we're on the precipice of making history. And I think it's just, you know, it's the sky's the limit here. You're you're the favored candidate. You're like the you're like the the one standing. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely a new side of the coin to be on, right? Um, as you know, I ran an insurgent campaign in 2020. Uh, you know, look, I, in many ways, it feels like I've been running for three years, <laughs> you know, going on um, the fourth now. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel very good uh, about the, you know, the coalitions that we've built. I feel really good about the work that we've done our messaging and, and more importantly, how many folks we've brought into the movement, right? And, and just were able to educate on policy, uh, I think in a really effective way. Uh, I, I'll share my, my new favorite story with you. Um, on election night in 2020 for the primary, you know, we really had no idea which way the election was going to go. And I know the incumbent didn't either. But because COVID was surging at that point, you, we had to do kind of a Zoom gathering. And we had a lot of young people that joined the campaign, a lot of supporters. And I remember talking to them on Zoom and I said, no matter what happens, we just change the face of politics in this district. And, you know, nobody had ever run a progressive campaign uh, the way that we had. And um, I really meant it at the time. And, and now fast forward to today, we have all of these candidates now, you know, uh, contemplating jumping in or telling us they're running and they're running essentially on my platform, you know, so as, as maybe frustrating personally as that is, I think that's tremendous growth in, in two, you know, in one cycle to have no one ever have run as a progressive. And now we're seeing more mainstream people adopt progressive policies and trying to run on them. So yeah, that, that's a major how, difference. How many of them? are saying it as opposed to actually running on it. Yes. Well, yeah, that's that's going to be, you know, the million dollar question, right? Um, right now, I think there are five candidates who have said they're running. Uh, I'm not sure if all of them have filed yet, but um, and m myself being one of them. So three of the five are running on progressive policies. Um, you know, I certainly don't want to like badmouth anybody, um, but you know, I mean, fact is fact. And, you know, I'm the only one that has been in these, you know, progressive spaces in the community building for progressive policy. So as I said, on the one hand, um, it's great to see more candidates, especially here, because it was not done before I ran, you know, running on these policies, but we're leading on them. And, you know, we're, we're excited to just keep building and what that could potentially mean for down ballot races, and certainly the future of the district. So at the very least, it seems that you're being viewed as a threat, which is 
a very good thing. Right, right. Well, you know, we've we've been at this for a while and um, we have 15 endorsements and we've got all the grassroots support in district and we have national endorsements and statewide endorsements and we're continuing to to build our coalition. So I do think that, you know, we're, we're the campaign to beat and, uh, you know, we're, we're excited to win and, and start to really deliver for our families. That's great. That's great. Sure. Um, Ramona, please. So I just need to say something now. (laughs) I am just like glowing here right now. Because when I first met Melanie, we were doing our teaching with Pody. And Melanie was like, okay, I really want to understand. And I don't understand. So like, I'm going to figure this out. Like, and she took it upon herself and she was like, okay, I get it. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to figure it out. She figured it out and she learns what MMT is. And then not only that, she's bringing it to the North Shore of Long Island, which is full of people that work in New York City. And she would be representative. She would have been my rep. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 who are basically like a lot of them are 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 pulling the strings kind of in our society because a lot of them are, are very prestigious people, and 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 Melanie is bringing not only progressive policy but also the economics of 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 how you create a stable policy to these people and it's like I'm blown away <laughs> it's amazing to me because <laughs> I've I've lived there and I know what it's like to be there and and the 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 mission to 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 be like okay let me let me show you something that can actually touch you and open your eyes and bring you to a path of understanding and the ability to accomplish that you know, in that area is wow. <laughs> really wow. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Let's officially do it, please, and give your give your intro and, and let's continue. Um, hello, I'm Ramona Masachi. I'm your host, and my co-host is Jeff Epstein. Say hello, Jeff. Hello, both of you. Thanks so much for doing this. Welcome to the to the Activist MMT podcast, um, and we are sitting with Melanie Dorigo, who is running in District New York Three. Welcome, Melanie. Well, thank you so much for having me, uh, Ramona and Jeff. I'm very excited to be here for this conversation, and uh, just look forward to you know growing the movement together. So what are the what are the some of the, like the biggest issues in your area because I remember when I was living there we couldn't drink the water because there were <laughs> oh, there, no big deal. Yeah, because there were several toxic waste dumps in the area that had never been cleaned up. Uh yeah, well, um Listen, cleanliness and uh, water safety is is still an issue, not only in this district, but certainly um, in many communities around the country. And I think it's it's one of those issues that we don't hear enough about, uh, certainly not in mainstream media, but even, you know, within uh, political campaigns. Right. Like it's not just Flint, Michigan. Right. We have um 
a terrible water system uh, throughout the United States. Here in this particular district, um, and I'll just say for for the listeners, uh, this is the New York's third district, which is uh, part of Queens. So it's a little bit of New York City who has a separate water source and part of Long Island, um, northern Nassau County and uh, northwestern Suffolk County, which gets its water from an aquifer system. So it's groundwater. So that means, you know, any type of chemicals that are like leaching uh, into our water, they're polluting our drinking water. But there, there's, you know, a dual issue. One is, you know, not uh, going to be a surprise to anybody in this um, who's, who may be listening at home. But as climate change uh, continues to affect us in a variety of ways, one, one of those ways is when sea levels rise, right? We know the ice caps are melting, which will cause seawater rise. It actually will push in, um, you know, deep underground in on our aquifer system, and it will cause what's known as saltwater intrusion, right? So we have a freshwater system. And when the saltwater mixes with the freshwater, that becomes undrinkable water. So we actually do have, you know, many water security concerns, uh, not just from a pollution perspective, but also from a sourcing perspective. But again, you know, this is not a unique issue per se to this district. I think nationally, we're having water issues. Um, but yeah, that, that's certainly one of them. I think, you know, unfortunately, Climate change is very much here. Um, we have experienced once every 10-year storms several times a season. It's knocking out power lines. Um, you know, that's that's also a major uh, local issue. Um, property taxes are always an issue here, for sure. Affordability, um, you know, it's, it's always interesting to me. For a long time, I have tried to figure out how we move forward in Long Island, which is one of the most segregated places in the country in terms of providing affordable housing. And, you know, the district is is because we have part of Queens and part of Long Island, it's, it's suburban, it's a little bit city-like, we have some farms, and it's, it's really difficult, right? And we certainly want to make sure that we have affordable housing for folks who have low income. But what, what I'm seeing is even wealthy folks are worried that their kids can't afford to live in the district, right? So we now have a housing affordability crisis that has is is spanning the uh, like across the uh, the spectrum of like socioeconomic status, which I think provides a unique opportunity for us to build consensus, even if people are coming at the issue from you know different places. So I, I do think there's opportunity there. And then of course, you know, we have some some major issues as well. Like uh, in this district, people are concerned about reproductive rights, as I think most folks, most Democrats certainly are across the country. Um, healthcare is a big issue. And I, again, I think that's a common issue everywhere, especially as we're trying to figure out how we navigate a global pandemic. Immigrant rights are, you know, really important issue to my district. We have one of the highest populations of undocumented people in the country. And so, you know, thankfully, we have a lot of wonderful activists and organizers uh, who support and, and are really advocating for for that population. But yeah, I mean, look, you know, th- this is a district that ultimately, I think, wants representation that is not going to sell them out and sell them down the river, which, which you know, which is something that uh, unfortunately they haven't had in a while. So I think they're looking forward to this election. Have they ever had that? Has there ever been a candidate Uh, in that district that was not um, receiving contributions from corporations? 
and you private know, interests? It, it's a good question. I had started looking into it and I, I went back a ways and I didn't, I mean, I think, you know, listen, each, as you go back in the decades, there are different types of influence, right? And, you know, we can certainly talk about the history of this seat. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, this is definitely a fresh take, a candidate, a, a very viable front runner candidate, not taking corporate PAC money. And I, I think this is a very new change. And it was something we had to do a lot of education around, but something also that uh, really resonated with the people of this district. How is it possible, like, how can we bring, like, lower the value of the homes there? Because, I mean, like, I don't know if that's detrimental or not, but like a 1,200-square-foot a, a home in that district is worth more than half a million dollars. Right. So, like, your uh, starter home is worth more than half a million dollars. Right. There are multiple ways to approach it. And I think, um, you know, we're at a push point. You know, it's not just about, and look, you know, like there, there are p- many wonderful solutions to affordable housing, um, but they don't work generically, right? Um, in different areas of the country, different areas of certain states. So it's not a one size fits all solution, which is where I think it makes it more difficult to tackle. You know, we're looking into, you know, possible policy initiatives where we have land trusts and community housing and, you know, what would that look like? And and where is there room for something like that? You know, um, in Huntington, which is a, uh, an area of our district, they've been fighting for affordable housing for over 20 years. And I think it just got approved to, to finally, you know, move forward with building, which is really exciting. But as I said, Long Island is one of the most segregated places in the country. And I think for a long time, you had a very NIMBY attitude. I will say there is a shift. Um, there's actually uh, on the east end of Long Island, a group called YIMBY. So like, yes, in my backyard, you know, and they're, they're working to find solutions to um, create more affordable um, housing in a variety of different areas so that we can, you know, one, diversify our towns and two, help seniors, you know, stay in the communities that they have lived in their entire lives. So how's the, how's the volunteer base going? Is it growing? Is it, where is it at? Yes. Um, so I will say, you know, we are a grassroots campaign and thankfully, uh, one of our major strengths is our volunteer base. Uh, we were fortunate to relaunch the campaign and have a sizable, sizable base to start with that we had built, you know, last cycle. And it seems to me that I think just about everybody has come back, you know, with, with few exceptions. Some folks have moved, um, you know, some of, are in college at the moment, but still supporting. And we continue to grow. You know, we've, we've had a few events. Um, I think at this point, we've had a couple hundred uh, volunteers participate and interact in some way with the campaign. But we have, I think, close to 500 signed up. And, you know, we're hoping to at least double that number come this spring and, you know, hopefully grow it even further. Woohoo! Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> I mean, this is our, you know, it's this is one of our stronger areas. I think we've done an exceptional job getting people excited, exciting the base, showing people a new way, and you know, we're excited to continue to do that. So, are you? Are do you think you're going to use the strategy of knocking on doors? Oh yes, I'm a big, I'm big on field, and I'm I'm a big door knocker myself. I think it's. 
paramount to to winning elec- an election as a grassroots candidate. I agree. <laughs> I was <hoping laughs> you were going to say that. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I would be in the field every day if I could. I think um, our biggest battle is going to be between um, keeping me on the phones, doing call time to you know our grassroots donors, versus being out in the field knocking those doors, which is you know where I'd much rather be. <laughs> Um, and uh, how much money have you guys raised? Uh, at this point, we've raised over a quarter of a million dollars. And, um, you know, we have a lot wow. more to go. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like, especially, you know, from where we were last cycle, we've blown past what we raised in the entirety of last cycle, uh, really focusing on trying to raise. But, you know, it's very difficult right now. I'm sure you hear that from, I mean, it's always difficult. But I think after, you know, the presidential race and Georgia voters are feeling very apathetic. I also think there's a frustration because, you know, look, look what's happening in Washington. We can't get voting rights passed. Reproductive rights are on the line. We couldn't get the infrastructure bill passed. So people are feeling a little bit hopeless. So it's been hard. You know, I I find that I almost have a part-time job as an inspirational speaker. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I have to talk folks back and, and say, like, look, you know, self-care is important. I get it. I understand what it feels to like to be frustrated. But the worst thing you can do is give up. So, you know, take some time, re- rest, recharge, take, take a moment of self-care, but then come back. Because, you know, if we all walk away and throw our hands up, I can guarantee things are going to get a lot worse for a lot of people. And that's just not an option, right? So, but yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're very focused on it. We probably realistically have to raise another $700,000, which just seems like, I don't know, like an insane number to me. But, um, you know, I'm trying to trust the process and I'm putting in the work and the time and, you know, hoping that it will pan out. I have no doubt that you will raise seven hundred. No doubt at all, Um, especially in that district. And you have the most amazing communications team. I mean, the ability for you to um, take all of those that data and all of those facts and put it out there. I have never seen a candidate do what you're doing. Oh well, thank you. Um, You know we. We try really hard to, you know, take complex policy and distill it down in kind of digestible chunks so that we can bring people in. Uh, I don't think it it serves us to, you know, speak in platitudes or uh, speak above folks' heads. You know, um, sometimes, I mean, we recognize that, you know, most people are struggling with basic life. You know, they're, they're at their job, they're trying to feed their kids and maybe take their kids to soccer practice. There's not a lot of time left in the day to, you know, become politically active. So, you know, our strategy has always been to kind of lower that, lower the bar to entry, right, so that we can continue to grow and bring people in. And so if that means, you know, we take the time to break it down and and get it out there, and it's going to bring more people in, we're, you know, thrilled to do it. Exciting. Um, uh, So what, so you have this huge issue where um, people are paying income tax and property tax up the wazoo in that area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just because, it, you know, a lot of the area is it's very expensive to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are basically just making it. Mm-hmm. 
And then when you introduce a policy like Medicare for all, and they say, well, are my taxes going to go up? Mm -hmm. What do you say to them? Yeah, well, the reality is that it's more of a one exchange for another, right? I think, and and it's hard, right? It's hard to explain to people because most folks don't really pay attention to our current insurance system. You know, they know that they get it. Most people get it through their employer. Uh, You know, there's a premium that is paid each month, but, you know, when you start your job, you check the box and then you you don't miss that money because you never see it. Uh, But, you know, Many families are paying, you know, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month in just premiums alone. And then they're paying, you know, and that could be for a high deductible health care plan. So then they're paying out of pocket until they meet, you know, a, a certain threshold or their deductible. So, you know, a, a good friend of mine who has done a lot of work, his name is Frank Kuig, and he put together these wonderful charts to show people exactly what they would pay in taxes. Uh, with a Medicare for all plan. And I can send them over to you if you want. They're amazing. And I think most people realize that under Medicare for all, they would pay less. Uh, there are a few that might pay a tiny bit more, but it's, it's at, at that level, it's so negligible that, you know, it, it, it's not going to even affect someone at that uh, level of income. So I, I think it's about, you know, having a conversation about what's morally right. Um, you know, Medicare for all for me has always seemed like not just the moral choice, but it's also fiscal responsibility, right? So it's sort of wild that, um, you know, folks that are always preaching fiscal responsibility are pushing back or have that, you know, previously pushed back so hard on Medicare for all, because like, what is better than a system that would save, you know, trillions of dollars, billions of dollars, and also save tens of thousands of lives annually. You know, it's, um, to me, it's a no brainer. I, I always say, you know, when I'm telling folks, I try to break it down in a way. So sometimes we have to break people out of the boxes that, you know, we put ourselves in. And, and I say, you know, like one day, our grandkids are going to come to us, or our children are going to come to us. And they're going to learn about our healthcare system. And they're going to say to us something like, so what happened if someone had cancer? And I said, we're going to have to look at them in the face and say, well, we let them die. That's what we did. We let them die. Um, You know, I I often tell a story about uh, the, you know, how the fire department came about, you know, and when it first developed, you had to pay insurance, right? So businesses would, or at homes, you'd you'd pay the insurance and you'd get a plaque and you'd put it outside your door. And so if there was a fire in your building, the fire truck would come and if they saw the plaque, they would put out the fire. And if there was a fire and they didn't have insurance and there was no plaque and the fire truck came and they saw there was no plaque, what do you think they did? They drove away and let the house next door burn. That's exactly what they did. They drove (laughs) away and they did not put out that fire, right? And as shocking as that may sound to us today, that's exactly what we're doing in the the medical system, right? We, We are letting people die unnecessarily. I think it is a um, it's a moral failing of society. And, you know, it's something that I am hell bent on changing. Right? And you have really high cancer rates, like breast cancer rates in that area. We do. Why is that? Well, you know, uh, obviously causation and correlation are, are you know, different. Um, but, you know, you alluded to it earlier. We do have, um, you know, a lot of... Uh, massively polluted areas of the island that, you know, 
where, where chemicals have leached into the soil for decades. And unfortunately, we do see, particularly around those areas, uh, a higher rate of cancer. You know, and I, we don't, as I said, it, it's hard when you're looking at a study or doing a, completing a study and looking at all the variables, you know, you, you can't 100% say, but I mean, there's definitely enough correlation to raise flags and, and cause some serious alarm. And and uh, a lot of your district is is um, on the bay. Um, mm-hmm. Is the do you, do you see the water is rising, or you don't have that issue yet? Um, so look, I think you know in certain areas of Long Island, we have seen um, significant erosion over you know the last I don't know even the last couple of decades, we've seen significant erosion, um, and we know we're poised to see a whole lot more. But, you know, we, we do know that it's coming, right? Um, it, it's absolutely coming. And, you know, I'm sure you saw uh, a couple of weeks ago with the Doomsday Glacier, you know, starting to break off. And I think, you know, it's, it's unfortunately only a matter of time, which is why, in part, I'm very excited to be here with you all today. Um, as, as I think you both know, I am an adamant supporter of climate action and the Green New Deal, which would include a federal jobs program and, uh, you know, a massive climate resiliency investment. You know, and it's it's interesting because sometimes I'll have potential constituents say things like, well, how do we pay for it? You know, it's like, oh, honey, you're going to pay for it one way or the other, you know? <laughs> so That's the point, paying for it in real terms, paying right. for it in real, people think that the only way to pay for stuff is with money. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, we're going to be paying for it real terms. Regarding flooding, I just want to, the, the, the point is not that we're going, we're not going to be seeing New York buildings underwater. We're going to be seeing subway systems underwater. Mm-hmm. And then when that happens, what that is a critical, I mean, that's like the lifeblood, that's like the blood system or whatever you call it, the circulation system of oh, the of city. Course. Yes. And of course, we know, uh, look, we, we had a storm um, in the past year, well, last year, uh, that caused massive flooding. And we know that, you know, listen, in Queens, there are um, many basement apartments that aren't like technically, you know, legal, like up to code, but they flooded and people died. People drowned mm. in their homes. Mm. And, and like, that was this year, like, and that was I mean, horrifying, right? And so I think that we're feeling the very real effects, right, here in New York. And it may not be as bad as, you know, having tornadoes, uh, you know, dissolve towns like we are seeing in other areas of the country or, you know, on the West Coast where the wires are melting and the fish or shellfish are boiling in the, you know, in the ocean, um, which is awful, right? Uh, I I think it's just really a matter of time. Um, Around three years ago, there was a climate study done that said if we do not take action immediately in 60 years, 50% of Long Island will be underwater. So that is significant. Right. Well, that I mean, is- I mean, I I don't want to change the subject, but uh, that ain't nothing. And we're mm-hmm. talking more like 10, 20 years, really, right. because the, 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 the major issue is is uh, mass migration from coastal cities and from like, uh, you know, uh, third world countries. And mm-hmm. those mass migrations are going to be black and brown people. And that combined with the, the, the bigotry and, you know, the people, immigrants stealing my job and want to build a wall. That's that's the powder keg. Shortages, food shortages, you know. Sure, sure. Water security issues. Yeah, right. It is. And and 
and and just to, to a job guarantee would prevent this because a job guarantee would be like immigrants didn't steal my job. Let's give them a job. Let's give everybody right. a job. Right. Yeah. So right. anyway, I, I don't want to switch the subject. Yeah. Too much, no, but, no, no. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, there is um, this organization, this climate organization by you. Uh, I think it's uh, head by this amazing gentleman named Ryan Madden. Oh um, yeah, New York Renews. Yeah. Yes, yes, and he also he also does a Long Island Progressive Coalition. Yes, and yes, they had they do such amazing work for climate. They do. They are so well organized. I I I, I was following their work while I, w- I was living there and I was going to the protests that they were putting together and I was so impressed with them. Yeah, it's there. Ryan is uh, incredibly knowledgeable. He's very impressive. Um, you know, I think part of the challenge with bringing folks along and, and getting them passionate about taking climate action is like, I think when we talk about conceptually what's happening and, and the actions we need to take to try to mitigate as, as much devastation as possible are really outside of our normal understanding, right? So when we talk about things like decarbonization or greenhouse gases, and I, I don't think the average person really understands what that means, right? Um, unless you've studied it. So I think there's a high bar to entry into that world. So that's something that we have worked on. I actually did a program with Ryan in uh, where I live in Port Washington on Long Island. And we did a kind of a Green New Deal education and Thrive Agenda education to try to explain the policy to folks and and, and get more buy-in. But And even then, it was a real struggle because there's just there's a lot you need to know to really understand i think you know the severity of the situation absolutely yeah but it's just great that there's organizations like that in the area and there's people like that in the area and people are hearing you and mm-hmm. and and that you know it's it's almost like climate change is something horrible mm-hmm. but it's it's igniting a fire. It's it's waking people up. It's jolting them, and it's putting them into action. And, at, and I'm grateful that that is happening because we couldn't keep going the path that we were going. You know, just as society. Um, so right. it, it's it's nice to see. It's great to see, and it's you know it's it's the younger folks that are I think really stepping up in a major way for our communities, and you know making others look and pay attention too, which I think is sort of a beautiful circle of life. But yeah, I mean I think you know this region in general has not had a lot of typical organization in the sense that like political organizing and social justice organizing, there have been, you know, historically a couple of groups holding it down. But, you know, in the last few years, there are over a hundred progressive grassroots groups now um, on the island and in Queens and probably way more than that. So it's, it's very exciting to see what's happening. Yay. Maybe I moved too soon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, have you been able to explain how funding works to um, your future constituents? Yeah. So, you know, I think that uh, the budgetary process is a bit mystifying. 
you know, and, and it's sort of like conceptually people understand it, but it's, it's the intersection of uh, local budgets, county budgets, state budgets, federal budgets, right? It's all, um, it, it's, it's not a clear process, right? And um, interestingly, in New York, uh, there was a statewide coalition of, I don't know how many groups actually, but quite a few came together and created the Invest in Our New York campaign which was um, not quite MMT, but uh, rebalancing of our tax system so that we would not have middle class and uh, middle class folks and folks on the lower income spectrum paying the lion's share of taxes, right? So it, it was really just re- a rebalancing of, of our tax structure. And, you know, that was a really good example of where, you know, we were meeting with um, tax lawyers and they were starting at a place where like no one understood what they were saying, you know. So we would like ask questions and have them walk it back, walk it back. And uh, a beautiful presentation was developed. And I I ended up being a regional rep for Long Island and I did uh, teach-ins. And I would talk about this is what, and this was a state level, but, you know, like this is what a budget looks like. And, and this is what goes into a budget. And then we would talk about the different pieces and the funding pieces. So, you know, it's, it's opportunities like that, that I think really lay the foundation. And, you know, I certainly realized in that moment that we need to have a lot more conversations around um, the budget and, and, you know, how it works. And obviously, you know, as I said, that was state, but I was surprised at, the reaction, you know, I, I thought I would get a lot of pushback and from from folks of all walks of life, everybody was, by and large, very much on board and very interested. That's good to hear. Mm-hmm. Jeff, you have some fantastic questions to ask. Well, thank you. Um, I'd like to ask, um, how do you speak, obviously, when talking about the national context, not state context. Mm-hmm. How do you speak MMT without saying the letters MMT to people who do not understand MMT? So you you have a decent grasp of the basics. Right. But you need to communicate to people who are basically saying we can't do that because of of inflation, because of, you know, invalid reasons. So right. how, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So, you know, I think for us, we have had a lot of success explaining complex policy by removing, um, you know, the scary buzzwords, right? Or the words where we assume people will decide to shut down and we'll talk more on a conceptual basis. We'll talk about solutions and provide vision and, you know, identify a problem and then talk through that. And, you know, we've really built a significant amount of support on uh, issues that certainly, you know, in the last election would have been classified as like far lefty solutions, policy solutions, uh, um, you know, and we we built this broad coalition of like Biden voters to Bernie voters and everyone in between. And they came on board because, you know, we had a lower a low bar to entry. You know, we we met them where they were at and had real conversation about their concerns and and kind of brought them in that way. So um, I think it makes sense, you know. What I have found, and this is, you know, not a knock on anybody, we're all living very busy lives, and it's very difficult to stay abreast of everything. Often what happens is folks will, you know, hear a snippet from somewhere, and they'll say, okay, that's the knowledge, that's what I know about that topic, (laughs) right? So if it comes up, you know, when I hear someone say something like, well, what about inflation? I'm like, what does that mean? 
Yes. Perfect answer. Perfect answer. Yeah. And and oftentimes they can't tell me. So, and I don't make fun of them, right? Because I think that's, that's not going to work, right? With the idea is to bring people in. Uh, and then, you know, they'll they'll try to fuss around them. Usually I'll get, well, well, tell me more about it, right? And so then we're able to have a more substantive conversation. The uh, I was actually just recently thinking about this, that the word inflation means whatever people want it to mean. <laughs> but whatever it is, is right. a boogeyman that is right. under their bed or in their closet. And what I think what I think it really boils down to is just things will get more expensive. Prices will rise for me personally. Mm-hmm. And so if you stay away from these buzzwords, as you just exactly said, if you stay away from these buzzwords and from in a different context of, oh, we should replace capitalism with socialism or communism or whatever ridiculous stuff. It's like those, number one, that's such a long-term thing. We, you know, let's just get people healthcare. But number mm-hmm. two, it's buzzwords that people don't understand. And there's so many buzzwords surrounding economics that people don't right. understand. So saying, what do you mean by that is – is perfect because you're establishing the definitions before you proceed with the conversation because otherwise right. you're talking in two different realities. Okay, that's great. That's, that's great. exactly right. And, and you know what? I find that that is true of most issues. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. For us, we're obviously for Ramona and I, we're more conscious of the economic side of it. But yes, yes, it's got to right. be in, in most everything, sure. Um, okay, so you seem to have a decent chance as best as I understand, like, you have a decent chance here. We she have a great has a chance. great chance. Okay, you she have a great have chance. A chance. That's why it's so amazing. We have a great chance. And, uh, you know, I keep saying it, but I think this is going to be one of the most exciting house races of 2022 and, and certainly one of our best shots at electing another progressive. All right. So perfect. So so this question is, is particularly important for you. And that mm-hmm. is, let's say you get in. Mm-hmm. How do you remain... Uh, how do you remain uncorrupted? How do you remain focused on everybody? How do you avoid what you have no idea is coming? How do you, uh, how do you, uh, assuming you want to be reelected, how do you continue mm-hmm. to raise money to continue your, you know, campaign or whatever is necessary, but not get sucked in to bribes, which are now legal, future favors, future wild. positions? You have no idea what is coming for you, but obviously, there are forces that will eat the best of us alive. So, you know, it, it, you know, you can say whatever, oh, I'm going to, I want to get money out of politics. Mm-hmm. Of course, we all agree on that. I want, I, you know, I, I remain committed to my, you know, my people should go nuts if I betray them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever answer you say kind of doesn't matter because this is bigger than any of us. So what, what do you do? Yeah. Uh, it's such a good question. And one that I absolutely love. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we've heard this echoed, right, from, from Jamal Bowman and from AOC that, you know, the, the pressure there is, is so great, right? And, and yeah, we all see that. Um, what I can tell you is that I was not a human who said, oh, my dream is to go to Congress. That was not even on my radar. Um, the way I grew up, I didn't even, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't even have entered my mind that it was a possibility for someone like me. Um, And I really felt like my journey into running was more of a last resort because nobody was fighting for us. So I stepped up to do it. And, you know, 
something that's really important to me and something I've tried to really cultivate as a candidate is a mentorship with younger folks and uh, potential future candidates in the district and even across the country for that matter. It's, it's important to me that we elect progressives up and down the ballot. I don't want to be in Congress <laughs> for the rest of my life. Certainly, I'd like to be there and get some good work done and fight like hell. But I would like to see someone who's just as progressive where, you know, my hope and I always joke uh, is that, you know, one day there's going to be someone more progressive and I'm going to be the old dinosaur and like, let let that be the case that, mm. you know, Medicare for all is no longer progressive. And, you know, um, we're pushing even harder to support people in this country. So, you know, that is something that I that I envision, you know, a, a handing off of the baton, if you will, at a certain point. Um, I also deeply believe that if we're going to save our society, we need publicly funded elections. And, and I think that's the only thing that's going to sustain the progressive movement. I, I can tell you, like, even in my race, these folks that are jumping in, that are co-opting my platform, you know, they're people that are wildly connected to immense wealth or multimillionaires, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and so like, to your point of how do you fight what you don't know is coming? Like, I really did not think that another progressive would, would jump in this race because it was, I, I was the first in the last election and it, you know, we got people were shocked that they didn't think that it was possible for a progressive to win. And I think we showed them. So look, we're, we're fighting with everything we have to represent people and fight for our families. Um, and, and that's the goal. You know, I'm not running for power. I'm not running for like personal power. I'm not running for ego. I'm running for change. That's what this has always been about. Um, in terms of staying connected to the district, that is my happy place. You know, I, I would much rather be in the community at events, meeting people, talking to people, helping people, making material, a material difference in their lives. That to me is what feeds my soul, you know, while also fighting like hell and speaking my mind about policies that I know we need, even if it's like politically unpopular, right? And I think I have a history of doing that. So, you know, I mean, that's what I hope to do. Um, I have no interest in spending four years of my life running for office to fight against corruption just to be part of the same corrupt system, you know? And I think you're right in the sense that like, well, you can say what you want, but until you get there, you don't know. But very few people run in back-to-back elections, right? And I think if you do, it's indicative of a, a deep fire in the belly that is fighting with everything that you have to, to, to create a better world for um, you know, my children. I'm a mom of three uh, and all of us. Okay. And, and running on, winning only on grassroots money is certainly, you know, getting in on not right. corporate money is also, that's, that's good. Um, I right. want to bring up something that, that Ramona often brings up uh, that is re- related to this, although it mixes mm-hmm. in a little bit more. Town halls, mm-hmm. of having regular town halls, but in addition yeah. to regular town halls, to to be able to, you're going to get how you pay, how you're going to pay for it questions. So, uh, so to have additional town halls with economists and like political PhD people so that you can say, when you get these questions that you're not supposed to, you know, know these things that deeply, but again, lean on uh, advisors. So you mm-hmm. can say, 
how are you going to pay for it? What about inflation? And you can say, I don't know the specifics to that question, but come to my how are you going to pay for a town hall next month? And an economist will answer that question for you in detail. Right now, let's stay focused on policy. So that's that's you know partially MMT and an unrelated question, but that's right. also related to keeping in touch with those at the bottom in an effective way, I think. Listen, absolutely. And I think, you know, we try to do this to the best of our ability with our very lean team and limited resources that we have, um, you know, as, as a candidate, right, we try to educate folks and, and get them that information. And, you know, I think we've been really strong and leading on that. Um, you know, we don't shy away from, from the hard questions or the difficult questions, because I think that's, it, it's those moments where we find growth and we can build unity in society. Um, you know, I think too often we see politicians cower away from the hard conversations. And I think it's it's a real missed opportunity. Um, you know, so I, I fully intend to continue to educate and, you know, elevate the level of our constituency. And, and in terms of staying in touch with, you know, different areas of the district, you know, my hope is that the staff that we assemble will be diverse and and they'll be from all over the district. So we can always have a pulse, uh, you know, to the extent possible about what's going on. Great. Great. Thank you, Ramona. Sure. Yeah. Because the thing is, is that the only way people are going to learn how federal funding works and get rid of the boogeyman and be able to actually assess, okay, what, you know, what resources do we have available and how mm-hmm. can we serve the public is if they hear it from, you know, you once you right. want. Right. <laughs> because it's really hard for, you know, the economists and the activists to really get the attention. And Absolutely. So, so we, yeah, we need you. <laughs> well, but, to, but to build on that, Dude. Ramona, you have said to me that you want like the progressive people who are already in Congress to get together and do a, whatever you call it, press conference and say, MMT bitches. And, <laughs> and that, that, you know, they can, they can't, they can't deny 19 people and say that this is a, this is complete nonsense. When you have 19 congressional congressmen and all of their advisors standing behind them saying that this is valid and it's important. Right. And this, this study of economics is important, like, mm-hmm. you know, not, you know, running to um, raising interest rates every time, you know, we see, we see uh, inflation poking its ugly head, but getting to, like, okay, exactly where is the source coming from and why is it coming mm-hmm. and how do we mend it even before it happens Right, is really the, and so, yeah, if we could have whole bunch of you come together and, you know, stand strong and say, okay, it's not just us saying this here, here, here's the academics, here mm-hmm. are the papers and here are the people talk to them. Destigmatize <laughs> this. And, and demystify it, demystify the process. Right. Uh, because I think, you know, you're onto something when you say uh, folks will pay attention if your representative is, is saying it. Right. And I think, at least in this district for decades, we have had representatives say things that uh, were maybe not really true, you know? So um, I'm really big, as I said, on education. And I, um, you know, once we win, and I really do believe we're going to win this race, <laughs> we will continue to do that. And, and we'd love to um, collaborate and, and, and figure out ways where we can bring in some experts and, and, and really, you know, elevate the consciousness of the district. 
I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm so excited. So thank you so much, Melanie, for joining us. And I'm so excited to watch you win and cry my eyes out out of happiness. Um, it's going to be wonderful. And is there anything that people can do to help you? Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, so the easiest thing is to follow us on sh- social media. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Dorigo Melanie. Um, go to our website if you can make a contribution. It's Dorigo2022.com. And I know every candidate says that. And before I got politically involved, I would always think to myself, well, I don't really have any money. So like, what what is my 5 or 10 or $20 going to do? Um, and now being on the other side of it, I can tell you it will do a lot. It will absolutely do a lot, especially for a grassroots campaign. Every every dollar is stretched in ways you cannot even imagine. So if you can make a contribution, that is always um, the most impactful way. Uh, we're also right now doing phone banks. We're heavy on phone banks at the moment because we can't knock doors at the moment because of Omicron. Uh, we have phone banks Tuesday night, uh, Thursday night, and Friday, or excuse me, Saturday. So if anyone would like to sign up, you can sign up on our website. Okay. Thank you so much. And everybody, please help Melanie win. She's one of my favorite, favorite candidates. And thank you so much for being here with us. And actually, and please send, send my thanks to Doug. Uh, he was very helpful in making this happen. I will do that. Um, he's the best. Uh, thank you both so much for all the work that you do and for having me on today. I really appreciate you both. Thank you. Thank you. Music for this show is by Rectech. You can find Rectech on SoundCloud and Spotify at W-R-E-C-K underscore T-E-C-H. To record Activist MMT, I use the iOS phone app Tape a Call Plus for recording phone calls and Zencaster for internet-based recordings. My post-production workflow starts by editing on the iOS app AnyTune Pro Plus, then transferring those timestamps to my Windows desktop. At that point, I crudely process the audio in Audacity and then implement the edits and do all of the final processing in the Reaper digital audio workstation. Activist MMT is hosted by Libsyn and the video teasers are created with the online headliner app.
Welcome to Activist MMT candidate interview number eight, hosted by Ramona Masachi and co-hosted by me. Today, Ramona talks with Melanie Dorigo, who's running in New York's third congressional district. Melanie was the first major candidate to run in the district with an unabashedly progressive platform. On election night in 2020, she told her supporters, no matter what happens tonight, we have changed the face of politics in this district forever. Now it's 2022 and Melanie is the front runner and the army of volunteers and supporters she cultivated two years ago is ready and waiting to hit the ground running. As evidence of her success and of being a threat to the existing power structure, there are now two Democratic opponents running on progressive platforms. The question is, do these candidates believe in that platform, or is it merely a tool to deceive low-information voters into voting for a corporate candidate? Whatever the case, as Melanie says, hers may be one of the most watched races in the country. You can support Melanie's candidacy by visiting dorigo2022.com, and you'll find a link to donate to her campaign in the show notes. If you're a candidate and would like to be interviewed by Ramona, please contact her directly on Twitter at Ramona Masachi or me at activistmmt at gmail.com. If there's a candidate you would like to see interviewed by Ramona, please let us know and please recommend us to them. This candidate interview series is above and beyond Activist MMT's regular episodes. If you like what you hear and would like to support this interview series and this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash activist MMT. And now on to our conversation with the front runner for New York's third congressional district, Melanie Dorigo. Enjoy. <laughs> 